Welcome to this episode of Spiritual Hustle. I'm Anthony Filipovich, and along with co-host Justin Spinsky, we're happy to, uh, to say hi to Paul Hertel again. Paul is the first person to do a repeat visit on uh, Spiritual Hustle. Paul, we're great to have you. Woohoo! <laughs> I like being a first. <laughs> Paul, um, last time we talked, we said uh, we wanted to talk about Catholicism, um, mm-hmm. getting like, the details of that. And one of the reasons that I really wanted to have this discussion is that I always kind of label myself a, a recovering Catholic um, mm-hmm. because of uh, the trauma I went through going to church as a child, being dragged by my mom, sitting there, uh, listening to an Irish priest at the time just talk about uh, people weren't giving enough money to the church, right? There, mm-hmm. And I, I couldn't feel any spirituality. And even as a five or six-year-old, I knew there was wrong in the scenario right mm-hmm. uh, so i would love and i've always wanted to go back and understand the tenets of catholicism a little bit better uh so that's why i'm really interested in hearing what you have to say about it i look forward to this discussion because it's one of my uh promptings around my spiritual path very much right of kind of coming back similar experience to you of just totally abandoning the church and yeah. saying there's nothing valuable here anymore. And then having to reconcile after my own, you know, one of these awakening moments of, you know, the Christ vision and trying to deal with that reality in that moment. And then saying, okay, my friend and teacher that we were talking about the last time, John, who was like, well, these are the people that show up to me when I'm doing this healing work, you know, it's like, got Mary, you've got Jesus, you know, and he also had, you know, Buddha and other people show up too. So I was like, but I had the very much the, uh, the Christian iconography elements show up in my own experience. And I was like, okay, I have to acknowledge these are part of my path. So I'm curious also from both of your sides, like what your experience was, because the element that you just mentioned of knowing that something wasn't right. You know, I call it the, uh, the Catholic wound. Yes. Um, it's a huge part of millions and millions of people that were brought up around the church or in the church. And as the numbers kept declining, there's, you know, whatever karmic reasoning is in that for the church itself, when it's a political structure as well. Mm-hmm. But then you, I, I'm focused or focusing on what is the spiritual underpinnings that this church is still around and established and has a deep spirituality that has not been promoted in any way by the church, especially the Roman Catholic Church. <laughs> it has right. been squashed at best and put <laughs> under. So... Um, and why do you think that is? Like, why, why has the, the church intentionally, or maybe it wasn't intentional, but I, I feel it was intentionally suppressed, like, its great teachings? Is it because, I'll, I have, like, a, one opinion, is it because the teachings basically said you need to go, you, that God is within you and you can access that, you don't need the church, and the church wanted to put a middleman in that whole communication sequence? Do you think that was it? Um likely (laughs) you know it's like the many elements of what when you have a political institution that incorporates a uh, powerful uh 
let's say social institution, you know, and once the Roman Catholic, the Roman Romans did this with the evolving church, recognizing, Hey, we aren't able to squash all these people. There must be something that's driving them on more than just the food sustenance and communal sustenance. So, Hey, let's just incorporate it. And just like, you know, current corporations, it's just like, Hey, let's absorb that little company and make it the way we want it. And it's no longer a little company. It's a, you know, the biggest international conglomerate uh, with, you know, the most real estate on a material level. But, um, the, but what, what you just yeah. described is, is heinous in nature, right? It's like you take something that people admire and feel a connection towards and you steal it for your own, for your own needs, which in this case is control. That, that, that's really the, the essence of it, right? So I, I think it would be good yeah. right now to separate the doctrine of um, Christianity and the reality. Uh, well, and the, the cult that, that kind of supplanted itself into it. Because um, just take, for example, a, a, a priest who is a pedophile also. Um, right. And very few and far in between, first of all. That, that's like the biggest thing to point out when, when you bring this stuff up. Because I don't mean to just bring it up. But um, the second that priest becomes a pedophile, they're no longer acting with a Christian doctrine. I don't care how big your hat is. If you're, if you're sleeping with... Um, or if you're, if you're raping children, then, then you're, you're not, um, then you're not acting like a, like a Catholic. You're, you're acting like somebody who just wears a big hat and pretends. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's the huge difference. So like when, whatever, you know, you talk about all the the terrible stuff that, that happened and, you know, for better or for worse, ignore all the the good stuff that, that had happened over the last 1500 years with Christianity. Um, the biggest thing is, is when they don't do what a Catholic is supposed to do, then they're not being Catholic. They're, they're, they're being the terrible conglomerate that, that um, we also have to talk about. So that those are those are two separate things. But anyway, so so let's let's continue yeah. parade, parading Christianity now that we, we separated <laughs> those two. Well, this and this to me is the the intrigue of what brought me back into trying to understand what is Catholicism as a path. Um, yes. Because for me, the element on a sacramental level is the Eucharist, which is an inherent part of growing up as a Catholic, it's like, there's so much around the Eucharist ceremony of sharing the host. Um, the wine, you know, kind of became secondary. It's been more recently brought back as a shared part of the congregation. And that ritual itself predates, um, Jesus. It's the, from the Melchizedek order, the priest Melchizedek who created this ritual and the most all priests in the Catholic Church are of the order of Melchizedek. So this is a ritual of a, a sacrificial remembering, as well as if you allow the um, spiritual depth of what is going on, of this materialization, if you will, of spirit coming through these elements, and you take them, you embody them, into your own makeup. Once I started seeing that boring part of the mass (laughs) as a really fascinating old ritual, it opened up my mind to what kind of spiritual nourishment am I getting? Because I had only thought of, well, you can get spiritual nourishment, you know, from 
uh, your guru. You can get spiritual nourishment maybe from prayer. You can get spiritual nourishment from meditation. It was very internal, and this is an external thing. But it works on not necessarily the physical body. It works on your etheric body or your soul level. So it's not like it's clear, like, hey, I'm going to take a host, and no longer am I going to be in a wheelchair. It's not that. And so it becomes about this subtle, again, body that we have less and less discussion around and why you guys are doing a podcast, you know, say, hey, what is this subtle element that we all have, but we don't really want to talk about because there's no context anymore for us to have it. Yeah, I I think that's a great example of um, when you start looking deeper into some of the traditions of uh, Catholicism. that's where the, the fascination comes and, and you do something that is just so like, like you said, boring, like the Eucharist um, uh, when you're at, at church. And then when you find out the significance behind it, suddenly it's, it's like, uh, you're like, oh, like, oh man, like, so for me, it was, um, it was the churches. And um, I was always bragging to all of my friends about how crazy the pyramids are. And, and, stuff. and it's like, they're pointed directly to here and here. And, and then it's like, then you find out that they don't make organs for churches anymore because mm-hmm. they forgot how to make them because that's how fancy and, uh, and technologically advanced these organs were. And these are like just the organs, but then on top of mm-hmm. that, the, the church itself is built in a very specific area, especially mm-hmm. in Europe, uh, very specific areas, um, built specific ways so that, uh, energies can flow in and out of it properly. They knew what they were doing. And that was the, mm-hmm. that was when I was like, wait, so somebody knows what they're doing that then you, you can't just pretend that these are all, you know, just a bunch of crazy people. Cause cause some things they're doing things that make, way too much sense from, you know, in a time where we call the dark ages simply because we don't uh, have a lot of history on it. Well, it's kind of also, and back to, you know, Anthony's point or question about, you know, is this a suppressed knowledge for a reason? And I think, especially in the Catholic church, it was about, listen to us. We are the authority. Um, you were, you are not the authority. And it's why, you know, when Gutenberg, printed the Bible. It was a huge thing Uh for changing the entire Christian movement was, you know, nobody could read the Bible, not -hmm. just because they were illiterate. It was like, you can't touch it. It's a sacred text. You are not allowed to touch it. And all of a sudden it gets in their hands and it's like, people can start questioning like, well, wait a second, you told me this. (laughs) (laughs) And that's, I think part of what the disturbance or this Catholic wounding is, is a lot of us who were brought up in the church were brought up with this is how it is. And if you're not doing this or this, you're sinning. And then you have to come back to us to clear that sin, you know, however many times a year or whatever. And so you're, you're not viewed as I, I think part of the, the wound perhaps is that element of you are not the divine child of God. Often you're not told that you're told that you are a sinning man or human and you have to reconcile that. And that's your path. Not that you are already of God and have right. God within. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, go ahead, Anthony. And, and that, that was kind of what, what I was <laughs> alluding to, too. Um, and, and, but going back to Justin's point, um, separating the tenets of Catholicism from like uh, the power structure that moved it forward. Let's talk about uh, the tenets of Catholicism. Like, 
there, there are good things within the religion, uh, the Ten Commandments, um, the difference between right and wrong. But if you were to summarize what those tenets are, uh, well, what would they be? You know, it's the the uh, golden rule of your neighbor as yourself is really the message that was left. And that's right. throughout what led me, for example, into getting ordained as an interfaith minister was, hey, wait, that love your neighbor as yourself, you know, that voice is also in the Bible. That's, you know, oh, Jesus said that. And they're the, they're the Beatitudes, which are, I just saw a thing of like, nobody yells about, why aren't the Beatitudes up in front of the courthouse? Because <laughs> <laughs> they're, not, they're not about laws and rules. They're about moral and ethical ways of treating each other in such a clear way. It's not the uh, mosaic law. Right. And, it's, and the, to me, the evolution of this Christian understanding is such a love element that we are still, as a human species, trying to understand how do you work in this place of love and unconditional love and neighborly love? You know, and I, I saw it very much in the Bhakti Sutras, you know, I was like, well, there's whole texts and, you know, ancient Indian texts that are all about using this and being of that. And I was like, once I saw that, well, it's also in the Christian text, but we don't really talk about, well, what is that as an energy and what is that as a movement? And why do you want to do that besides, well, it's ethical or it's practical or it's a thing you're supposed to do because it says so in the Bible. Right. <laughs> that's, that's the one you usually hear. Yeah. Yeah. So that, I, I think that that's the inherent part of the Christian movement of, I like to think of uh, it as an evolution and it's not that it's the only path. It's the path, you know, I, I, I find maybe the most challenging too of like, how do you stay in heart space and open? And I know you've had a number of, uh, different podcasts that are about this heart energy. And it's like, what if that were the t discussion? Not about the, the abuse of power, not about the abuse of uh, monies, not about the, you know, systematic betrayals of hierarchy that have happened within this huge construct, you know, not about the impoverishing of, you know, billions of people for centuries, <laughs> Um, none of that sounds like love. No. <laughs> you know, and, and maybe, and this is the challenge of where we are at a time and why the elements of, you know, should priests get married and things like that. Um, you know, they used to early on. That wasn't a, that wasn't a, uh, well, Jesus said, don't get married. That was Paul who didn't really, he was just like, I can't do the kind of work I want to do by being married. He was kind of practical <laughs> about the whole thing. It's like, he can't go around traveling around and, you know, being a proselytizer if, you know, he's got a wife and kids to take care of. <laughs> did, Maybe I'm did, a little simplistic on that one. But. Did he mention that in his uh, writings? There's a passage that I recall where he does, he, um, I would say disencourages people that are going to follow him to be married. And I, the way I interpreted that was very much in a sense of 
well, you can't do this work and run your business at the mm -hmm. same time because it wasn't localized. They were spreading it everywhere. So it wasn't about, you know, just stay in your village and, you know, spread the message. Yeah, I got you. I, the, the only reason why I brought it up was that that's the second instance where, and, and this is kind of going to lead to what I want to talk about for the next little bit, but um, um, uh, Nikola Tesla said the same thing. Uh, he said, I, uh, he used to, if you saw him when he was, when Nikola Tesla was younger, he used to, he used to get all the ladies. And then, uh, then he was like, I can't do this and do science at the same time. I have mm. to choose one. And, and he chose science and, you know, uh, invented basically the 1900s. And, um, so mm. I've seen that multiple times. I, I sometimes feel that myself, um, moving forward, but, um, you also brought up the, not the Upanishads, but the, the, the other, uh, Vedic text. The and, Bhakti uh, Sutras. Yeah. Um, so for me, when it came to Christianity, uh, I was coming from it from new age and, and Indian culture and Buddhism in particular. And, um, the things that I, when I started to accelerate my gravitation towards Christianity, um, it was because of the connections, the, the things that you were seeing in other texts, and then you'd go and you read the Bible, and then once you understood what the heck you were reading, you understood mm -hmm. that they were saying the exact, in a lot of places, the exact same thing. Um, and were you seeing that also? Uh, and if so, if you could think of any. Um, that was when I, when I was trying to... Uh or not trying, when I was more involved with the Art of Living organization and Sri Sri Ravi Shankar is the, the guru around that, he, most of his talks were often about the overlapping correlations with uh, primarily with Jesus. And it was partially because they were spreading into the cities in the U.S. more. So they're like, he's like, this isn't separate from what you already know. And it wasn't follow me instead of that. It was this is easily incorporated into what you already know. But yeah. to me, there was a, a surprise of like, holy crap, nobody's talked about that similarity to me before. You know, it was that people say people, religions find their power in keeping their message as the message, right? <laughs> yeah. Not, hey, we all say the same thing. Isn't that cool? <laughs> And you're not going to give your dues over to everybody. <laughs> yeah, that, that's the that was the crazy thing. For one, for was was that nobody was talking about this, and two, when people did talk about it, like they would try to find as many dissimilarities as possible, and, and it, I'd be like, it, um, the the and then the biggest other thing that, that you pointed out, brought brought up also is that you have to focus on Jesus when you do this because the, the second you start getting to Paul in like a, a couple hundred years after Jesus was even uh, alive. Um, if things start to get a little skewed in, in Christianity, but, but when you focus on just Jesus's word, it's, it's almost like, it's almost like he traveled to, to India at some point, um, and learned some stuff. Um, which, which, uh, text did you or would most enjoy or find truthful in your own wisdom of that story like of the Jesus probably learning from I like people in India? <laughs> I like to, uh, uh, well, I like to imagine that there, there was that like 19 year spread when he uh, just went from, you okay, Anthony? Yeah, yeah. I just, um, I'm thinking about some of the notes I had and how this oh. can play into this discussion, but continue. Oh, sorry. It sounded like something fell. Um, no, no. Okay. Um, uh, well, I like to imagine that um, he went to Egypt and, and all these, and all these crazy, <laughs> crazy places and and met with other um, like-minded individuals who, who helped him along his path. Um, mm -hmm. Is that the question you were asking, though? Uh, I, I didn't know if there was a specific uh, text or story, because I've, I've read 
some of the storylines, and I didn't know for the use of any listeners where they could find that story, because I find that a very compelling argument of how does one similar to us on a path and getting exposed to a lot of wisdom and a lot of profound teachings and teachers. It's like that it's not just all of a sudden the boom, you're awake and you're enlightened moment. It's, oh, there's a path. So I think whichever text, because I can't name a specific text where I saw that, I can only say, yes, I'm, I've seen that line and that inspired me. Uh, about him going to India? Uh, yeah. yeah. Oh, um, I, I really think that that's, uh, con- in my mind, it's conjecture. So it's like um, he definitely went somewhere and he was gone for a really long time and he came back with similar uh, stories uh, and, and similar, or, or similar, very, I would actually say different stories, but but very deep, similar um, uh, morals to those stories. Um, and, and it, but um, I'll do some more research on that. But I, I know that I, uh, India and uh, and Egypt were were two places. I don't know why I heard that, but uh, I'm gonna. I'm yeah, gonna no, you just you seem to have a lot of clear reference points, and you actually remember where you read them. And that's what I was asking. It's like I never remember. It's like yeah, it was one of those books sitting in the garage. <laughs> <laughs> Just read it. Just read them all. Just read them all. <laughs> so l- let me ask a question, and this is the part that always interests me. I, I think some of the tenets of Catholicism that we talked about is love thy neighbor. I think um, the dignity of humanity, um, community, family. I, I think all mm-hmm. of those are kind of like tenets of it. But what, what interests me is, um, and I think um, the Jewish traditions do this very well, it, 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 they realize they have to live in the material world. So mm-hmm. how, do you, how do you take those teachings and apply it to your daily life? Like if you have a dispute with someone, what do you do? You know, and what comes down to like what food should you do use in order to make your, in order to ensure your health, right? Like the detailed questions of how you take that tenant and tenants and live your life on a daily basis. Like in, in the Jewish traditions, the rabbis will help people work through that to understand what, what the teachings mean in specific circumstances, right? But for, mm-hmm. Catholics, for Catholics, it, it, um, it doesn't always seem clear, or maybe Catholics just ignore the tenets when it comes to certain situations. Like, for example, if an average Catholic is faced with violence, right, the, mm-hmm. te- the teaching is you turn the other cheek, basically, right? Or, mm-hmm. or, or is that the teaching? Uh, you hear this so often. I, I don't know if that's an urban myth or that's actually the way Jesus like wrote it. And that's what's, this is the part of any, you know, sacred text. And let's, I like to believe or imagine that the, the writers of the gospels, for example, they were um, inspired, evolved people, beings who were getting, they were basically channeling of their writings. It wasn't that they were, is cognizantly telling a story from, oh, we're going to, you know, tell this story to lead to this, to lead to this. It's like they were influenced, obviously, by the stories they already knew. Right. They wanted it to, it was more mainly an oral tradition and it was passed along until it got to writing. But these, these were people who had to divine a, I think, beautifully channeled or guided message about greater wisdom that was going to help evolve humanity. And then once you put that into written word, 
And then once that written word gets translated and translated and translated and who's doing the translating and, you know, where's this group and which ones, which one of the writings actually survive and you miss it, miss it becomes a, a fundamentalist issue. Then you go back to what I think is a challenge in Christianity of fundamentalist text based. This is the true only word. And it often it's divinely, I believe, divinely inspired word, absolutely. But unless you are incorporating any of these messages inside of your own, I will say, heart space, mm. you you miss the whole point. It's still about your internal discovery of what's called the Christ within, you know. But it's depending on the rabbi or the priest to tell you what's true or not kind of moves away, I think, from the Western lineage of try it for yourself. You know, the, the scientific approach of how <laughs> we look at things of, well, do it yourself versus do it because we told you. And so I think like whether it be something of like, well, eat at this time, you know, or don't eat, you know, don't eat meat on Fridays. And there's, you know, the big, there's a historic element of the meat that's actually available in a culture 2,000 years ago that's desert-based, and they're not farming, and there's not necessarily, you know, herds of sheep everywhere, depending which area you are. So by not eating once a week meat and saying, okay, we're going to hold that off, you are protecting the entire community right. for nourishment later on. So is that a practical element of a teaching that got ritualized into the code of Catholicism of only eat fish. Well, maybe fish are more abundant, you know, cause it's out, the lakes are there. They're still there. They haven't overfished everything like that. It's not <laughs> farm fishing. Um, so it's, I see that there's a beyond the bonding of everybody doing a similar activity on a certain day or at a certain time, which creates its own energy. There's also the beautiful communal element of we're taking care of each other. You know, by doing this practice, we're taking care of each other. And I think, again, that's where like a love element is very tangible and shown in a Catholic tradition. But again, you're not necessarily going to have a priest in his sermon tell you about why, you know, this practice that, again, like you were pointing out, uh, most Catholics are not really doing that anymore. You know, they're not probably not eating meat on Friday. Maybe during Easter season and Lent, they will. They'll follow it. But it's an intriguing idea of just like any, whether you're going to fast or whether you're not going to eat before meditation. Um, we know that there's power around restricting your body from an input because it opens up other parts of your body to receptivity so i i'm sorry i went on the food one but that was a the clearest one that i see cool um yeah so you brought up a few things that the first thing is that i i feel like one of the best tenets of um of christianity is is the idea of sacrifice simply because um there's so many stories where sacrifice is involved and then and then the cain and abel story which is 
so early in the in the Bible, you, you it, it just sticks out like a sore thumb because it's such a good uh, paragraph. And um, uh, the idea of how humans evolved from um, being like animals who can't think in the future to um, how Christians very intent on, on making sure that people understood that the the idea of sacrificing for the future is, is a very good thing to pass on, and it seems to have worked really well because it, it's sustained. Uh, this, this idea has sustained Christianity for a very long time. Um, but then you also brought up earlier about um, when you take something literally and you're planning on taking it, it, it literally, and then you write that thing down, you can't change it for 2000 years. <coughs> so right. that's an issue because like you said, like you pointed out, there's things that w- we don't have to worry about, um, about saving food for the week over the weekend uh, right now. We, we will in 50 years probably, but, but right now we're, right. we're, we're good. Uh, but, um, uh, uh, yeah, so I see that all as being an issue on top of uh, a growing amount of issues of, um, of, of trying to sustain a, um, a company or anything for an extended period of time is that, is that things change and, uh, it, how flexible you are going to be with that change is, um, going to decide things. It, it could decide whether you dissolve into nothingness too, if you keep changing all the time. Right. Uh, just look at the opposite. Well, there's, and I think there's the, the challenge of, as you know, we have whatever approaching 8 billion people on the earth. Um, resource management is a real thing, you know, and obviously mm-hmm. how we are treating the earth that provides for that is a real thing. But the smaller communities that are around churches, you know, and especially like where I grew up in Wisconsin and a lot of the Midwest, you know, a lot of them were established by Catholic churches that were escaping areas like Germany, coming over by literally boatloads of congregations and replanting themselves in other areas in order to try again on their whatever utopia or just resources that were available. But it was so much about the community doing it together. And this is why the Catholic Church, especially in smaller rural areas, spread so successfully throughout Europe because it was, we're taking care of each other. It was the base message, I think, of what were in the teachings of Jesus and the early desert fathers were teaching was, if you do this stuff together, you don't need that other big system. If you're all looking out for each other and manage to, you know, share your resources, you don't need that other, you know, your own house here, your own house here. If, and it was such, so many, so many cool things that to me, it's like, yeah, that utopian village, you know, can you do that in 2018 without being a cult? Cult, yeah. And in a dangerous way? I don't think so. I don't know. But it sounds freaking cool. <laughs> so, and I like to think that there's still the human need that we want that and that there is a basis of in the Catholic church that that's what it started around. It started around that powerful of a movement and there was so much love within it that it got usurped. And, but again, it's been so many years since that has been the underpinning and what's talked about that we've lost sight and, I think, again, I will go back to that word, the Catholic wound is a huge heart wound. It's like a gaping, gaping sore that I was talking with my girlfriend this morning about this going like, because I find this conversation both 
uh, titillating as well as challenging of, well, how do you heal a wound without going right to the wound? You can't really go around it. It's like, and this is in internationally around the world. And when you, what's the news of the Catholic church is kind of constantly bad and abuse of power. And it's going, yeah, that's a symptom of a greater sickness. And I think on societal levels, it's not just the Catholic church that we're seeing things like that. It's, we don't know how to stay in a communal heart space where it's like my actions affect somebody else. Yes. You know, and that's again, love your neighbor as yourself. It's like my actions affect not just me, it affects someone else. So and, I, I, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, I think the last time a community like that existed in the States was probably Osho. I believe he was in the 1990s. He had a whole commun- uh, commune set up in Oregon. Right. Yeah. Did you watch the Netflix series? I've heard about that and I heard it's really well done. Have, have you yeah. seen it? So it's very powerful. It's a very powerful uh, story because it comes from his, you know, main lieutenant's voice. She's the one talking about the how they did it. And she was the enforcer of making it happen mainly. So right. recommended viewing for anyone interested in uh, the goods and bads of, uh, Communal living. Communities, yep. <laughs> yeah. But it, that, that was a perfect example of trying to create something loving like that, a community uh, in a barren, hostile world, right? In, mm-hmm. in, their case, in their case, you could argue maybe they went too far. <laughs> like it, it, they set up their own sheriff, they set up their own post office, and the post office, they had a picture of Osho, not Reagan, right? So um, mm-hmm. they might have pushed it a little too far. But I think the bottom line is, the, the hate and resentment from the rest of the town was palpable because they were different, right? Mm-hmm. And, and though they would probably define themselves as Christian, they, they were anything but Christian in, in the way they, they treated people in that community. Um, so I, I guess the, the question then becomes, the tenets of Catholicism are probably similar to the, the tenets of most religions, right? I, I still... I feel we've kind of like brushed around what those are. Um, but what that means to me, and I know that every religion kind of talks this, uh, instead of like today in the political realm, like we're, we're always talking about left and right. We get lost in that where the real discussion is right and wrong, which, which is what every religion talks to. Right. And in order right. to understand right, you need to understand like the truth of the situation and you need to have morals around that. Right. And then mm-hmm. if, if you have those, which is the basic tenets of Catholicism, really, right? And I think Justin talked about it before. If, if you're a Catholic and you're not following that, then you're not, you're not being a Catholic, right? Mm-hmm. And then the, the question that I'm always, I'm always coming back to is if you know that, that those are the basic um, tenets and, and you know that, you know, the more truthful you are with yourself, and you've seen it in every situation, the more we lie to yourself, the, the, the more fucked up your life is, right? You know, yeah, I don't have a drinking problem. Yeah, I don't have a drug problem. Yeah, I don't have, you know, whatever problem, right? The more you, mm-hmm. hide, the more you hide from that, the worse your life is. But the more you align with truth, like spiritual truth, your own personal truth, the happier you get. Like, you have to go through some stuff sometimes to get to the other end. But it's a journey you have to take, and it's a journey you have to take sooner than later. Mm-hmm. How do we take those tenets of Catholicism, kind of like um, 
whittle it down to the essence of how to live your life. And we can take, you know, truth and morality as being like those essence and get people to live like that. Right. I mean, that's really what a religion is. And I don't like to use the word religion because it has bad connotations. Right. That that's usually the, the body of knowledge that helps with your spiritual growth teaches you. But taking that, the idea of truth and morality and living it, I think that's where everyone kind of falls short. Like the Catholic church obviously did, right? They didn't do it. So mm -hmm. this tug between good and evil is kind of like the, the, the main topic of conversation really uh, in regards to like, how do people resolve that within themselves and then within their community? Cause they have to resolve it within themselves first. Right. And then they have to right. involve the community. And why communities all like you, you raise the issue why communities is important, and there is no community now from what I see like in, in the Catholic space. You know, people, especially when I was going, people go to church and they leave, and people be fighting to get out of the parking lot sooner, right? <laughs> they'd be fucking, they'd be you know giving each other the finger and just, they got cut off, like they completely lost like the the not like the idea and intent of why they were there, right? They were there because yeah. they told their. They, they were told they needed to be there. They were there out of uh, some sort of obligation, but not be because they felt a heart connection to themselves or anyone else there. So mm -hmm. it's a long-winded way of saying there's basic ways that the Catholicism taught us that we have to lead our life in order to be happy. No one mm -hmm. is doing that. And I'm looking to you, Paul, to explain to me why. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, you know, the image that came to mind while you were talking was uh, the image in the Catholic Church is the suffering Christ on the cross. Right. So, so it's, it's the, it's a the pain. path of, of whatever, what the hell they call it, the path of abandonment or, you know, it's, pain. it's, yeah, it's looking at a much different image recurring versus, you know, what came out of the Protestant Church was the resurrected Christ, which was, you know, that's kind of the whole reason for the, you know, the Christ embodying on earth was, hey, I went past death. You know, I, would, I didn't just have to stay in the material world in order to allow this um, universal energy. Because Catholic, you know, that's what it means. It means universal. And it doesn't mean, I don't think, in the sense of what became the Gospels of Paul or the Church of Paul, which would not me, Paul. <laughs> Paul the Apostle. <laughs> I haven't I haven't figured my own church out yet. Uh, <laughs> but it's like that became a a systemized world of that controlled power. Paul's gospels. Even though Paul was teaching rules of how to live communally, he was going around all different parts of the of that area trying to develop and build on different communities. All the letters are to specific communities saying, hey, if you follow these tenets, if you, if you do this, this will help strengthen your community. I've seen it happen. It's worked here, here, and here. And, well, you're not doing this part. So, of course, this is why you're having these conflicts. And I... You know, that's a lot of martyring of early Christians by getting killed through the bigger forces. Well, it makes a very powerful image to have Christ on the cross dying because that's what they're seeing. It's like, yes, through persecution, 
you know, if you actually stand for what you believe in, you can stand all the way to death because that strength is so powerful. I, I like to believe that or feel that the message went past that, especially over the last 2000 years. It's like, those aren't the same persecutions most of us deal with in the West. We don't really deal with religious persecution as a problem. Right. Um, and, you know, you mentioned the, the ashrams with Osho in the West. And I'm like, well, that was, there was very much a tribalism going on. That's kind of going back to the desert model of, well, your tribe has that, my tribe has this, and we're going to butt heads until we, you know, figure out who gets to win. And they were doing that according to this documentary, you know, politically as well. They were trying to enforce a political structure on top of a communal structure themselves. So again, it gets into the systemized structured material world instead of the spiritual world and is i for me when i say spiritual i always it always make puts a little light around my heart it's like i not not spiritual of i'm gonna i have to go float off somewhere just spiritual like oh i'm talking about someone else that's right here we're talking we're having this you know conversation because it matters to us on a moral ethical societal level of how do we live together in a meaningful way and that basic element, regardless of, you know, if you're following the laws or not, or the rules of your religious practice, whichever that may be, if you're not able to stay in that space of heart, it doesn't matter which rules you follow. And like you said, if you're flipping each other off at the, in the parking lot, you know, obviously that was a useless waste of time, but you were told you got to go for that Sunday mass. Otherwise you're going to, you know, get a black mark on your soul, you know, and then you got to go confess. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, I, I like to, I want to have this belief that the need for bringing us all together in this communal heart space is the strongest message that we were challenged with continuing as a species through the Christ. And we're still working on that, but I think it shows up and then it kind of dissipates and it shows up and dissipates. And we haven't yet gotten to a space of being able to sustain, like we were talking the last time I was on your show of, you know, how do you sustain the, some of these, momentous, you know, evolutions of ourselves in our own spiritual life. So we know that it's possible and we know that it's real. And then it comes down to, well, how do you collectively share in that space and keep it going? And, you know, we're selfish, we're humans. We're still, we still have this element of animal that we're trying to figure out. And, you know, a lot of the basics i think of democracy are well if you take care of the basics your food and your shelter and your you know how to deal with law you know or someone breaking the law um you can then have this greater communal space together so it's like we have a set up in our own uh political system that allows for us taking care of each other through taxation 
You know, that's really a lot of, it's a, it's an extension of the Judeo Christian line of, you know, a system of laws was really a system of morals of, well, of course you're going to look out for your neighbor in a, in a real tangible way, not in a, you know, yeah, I see them over there. I'm going to watch them and I'm going to, you know, put them on that app, whatever that neighbor app that you can see, <laughs> see what's going on in your neighborhood and <laughs> check on each other. And <laughs> I think that it's like, we have all of the things there. It just has gotten veiled again under whether confusion or darkness or whether that's just part of this uh, karmic growth that we're trying to deal with. Cause I, I like, I feel that the the Christ energy or and everything I've read since I've gotten back in this world has been the Christ energy went into the earth. It is universal. It's happened. It's done. It already happened and you can incorporate it and it's there available to you. Doesn't matter what you practice. Doesn't matter where you are. That Christ energy has been reflected, not just in Christianity. It's been reflected over eons throughout the growth of the universe and you have some of that in you because you're made of starlight and you're made of earth and that what you know they refer to as the blood of christ it's like there's some beautiful environmental theologians who write very much about why we should take care of the earth is because of that it's like the blood of the christ light energy is literally in the earth so the more you work with the earth, the more you take care of the earth, the more that Christ light can evolve both in you and the world. But again, I don't, I don't hear a lot of my sermon priests talking about that. <laughs> so yeah, that was, that was a lot. Um, I'll, I'll try to work from, from the back and then forward and see, see if I can, if, if I can figure everything out that you, that you just said, because that was, that went from like interesting to, to fascinating very quickly with what you just brought up. And, and, and the first part that was interesting was, was about the community, um, which I think uh, lack of community is an indicator uh, of great success. And when you have a great success for generations, multiple generations, you, you start looking at, at your, your fallbacks as, you know, we don't, we don't need this. Um, and the church is always a fallback. Even in, in like the 800s, when Muslims were, were literally just kidnapping um, people and throwing them in, into slavery, and that includes Europeans, include, includes blacks as well. Um, uh, the churches were like, all right, we're going to build super churches and we're going to fortify them. Those are called our forts now. They were churches. Um, they built, they literally built things to protect entire communities. That was their thing. When there's nothing mm -hmm. to protect us from, uh, over three generations, you go from um, going religiously because you literally just perhaps even like with the Osho people, you just are not the Osho people, the people in uh, Michigan. Um, you literally just left um, you, you, with your entire community, like and, and people assisted you in doing that uh, to uh, and you remembering that as like a child or something to, uh, to like, three generations later. Those those kids, me, I, I had no idea what kind of community like things you've done how like it was just 50 years ago and people were like saving people's lives and it's like no wonder mm -hmm. you show up every sunday it's the least that you could do you know uh it's mm -hmm. the least you could do to give to give a few bucks um so i, I agree with that i guess the part that i want to challenge you on is, is the taxes because um because when when i give to charity and stuff i have a, a, the feeling in my in my heart is different than when i give to taxes and i, I feel like the diff the only difference is i'm giving money both ways 
the only difference is, is one is forcing me by literal gunpoint because if I don't if I don't pay and then don't go to don't go to court and, and get arrested, they will take me by force. Um, I, I think that they're trying to emulate good morals, but when you try to emulate good morals, then you don't act out from within um, uh, it, with, with the right idea. Then then it's not it's not serving its purpose. It's actually creating more animosity. It's making me not like people simply because they're taking my money and then not working hard enough. And, you know, I'm just imagining all this stuff as, as you know, just a character, a straw man, really. But uh, does that make sense? Yep. The phrase <laughs> of a uh, give to Caesars, what is Caesars comes to mind. Yeah, give you know, to Caesars, what is Caesars. It's just like there, there's always been a system of taxation in the, uh, in a lot of these structures. And yes, they've been forced. They've been done forcibly throughout history. And I, I, I believe the sentiment is what I'm saying. If it were managed properly in an ideal setting with a little more moral oversight instead of legal oversight, I believe that the communal functioning of the taxes would actually serve a greater purpose. But again, with 8 billion people in the world or 380 million people in the U.S., you're not dealing with a little nation state anymore you know it becomes the system is too large i think for our current model to reflect uh, again that early origin the the nucleus of what it was so it's similar to kind of, it's kind of similar to the catholic church it's like it's too big for its own good and karmically look what's happening <laughs> not interesting big big government fails yet again yeah. <laughs> um, hey, I'm kidding, but uh, but yeah, all that, that stuff was, was very interesting to me. Um, I, I guess um, so we got we got a half an hour here. I, I kind of wanted to try something, and then if you guys don't want to do it, it's, it's cool. But uh, um, do you do you want to just uh, go over like uh, a part of the Bible that that, that particularly particularly interested you, and, and kind of um, just kind of ex- explain it's exoteric meaning and then it's esoteric meaning like what it meant to what it actually means to you and stuff. Is that something that you'd be interested in doing? Uh, you have one in mind. Uh, well, right. just off the top of my head, the tower of Babel would be fun, but, uh, but any, anything that, that interested you, cause you know, the, the book's pretty big. So, well, <laughs> my, the book I have aside of me, which I just picked up again is that led me along the esoteric part of trying to, to reconcile my Catholic upbringing is uh, Meditations on the Tarot. So it was written post or published posthumously. Um, it's the journey into Christian Hermeticism. So it literally uses the major arcana of the tarot or the tarot deck as the extension of the Emerald Tablet. Like this is universal wisdom that has been throughout humanity over 5,000 years. And it reflects on each image, like the Tower of Babel being one of them. <laughs> the tower, it's called, is the card. Tower card, yeah. And it deals with where we have gotten to as humanity through a Christian lens, but it's the most uh, syncretic, if that's the right word, a uh, place of how symbol knowledge contains all the wisdom. So the more you reflect on one of these cards, the more of the lineage of that knowledge will help come to you. And 
I'm more textually based, I guess, than visually based. So it's like, I read this guy and go like, yeah, yeah, it's, it's real and it's true. Um, and it's continuing that it's not a, it's a, it's the, the thing of the living word within any of the texts. And I believe that that's in all sacred texts. It is living word and living truth that you can bring it into you, into your heart and it can be part of your living expression of your soul and spirit in the world. And so the, um, the word of God, if we honored it as such with however, whatever sacred text you're reading, that this is a word of forever. This is a word of universal understanding always that that is inherent in the Bible. It's inherent in the mass. It's inherent in, um, there any of these reflective times you might put aside with your sacred text, but we've lost a lot of sacred, you know? So I guess I'm going on a more general thing than a specific spot of, well, how do we look at any of this sacred text and using the Bible as an example? Um, and that's why I, with this one, I can say, well, this is one where I have found a lot of my own understanding because it resonates that I know a lot of this stuff already. I don't know why I know it. And that to me is the, what's beautiful and universal is like, this is somewhere in my genes. This is somewhere in history. This is somewhere in my blood that this somehow makes sense to me. The references and the people he's writing about and the, you know, going is, going back into the Upanishads all the way up to, you know, Vatican II in this one book. And I'm like, I get it. I see the lineage. It makes sense. And it's like, it's dense and complicated, but I feel a knowing around it. And that's to me, the beauty of sacred text. And I always look for where this is being collectively shared at the same time. So it's not just me sitting reading it at four in the morning, you know? <laughs> yeah. I, I can't um, talk any less about the, the connections because you know, you brought up the tarot because um, of the tower card and everything. And, and, you know, I got, I got my tarot deck right over here too. And it's like, uh -huh. why did I do that? And it was because I wanted to see if there's any connections there. And as it turns out, yeah, there's a disturbingly a lot of connections with tarot and um, Kabbalah and, and every it's a weird, it's oddly connected with a lot of things. And I, I really do hate it when um, people just go, Oh, it's just fortune telling with, you know, it's just stupid cards. And I'm like, no, it, it's really not. There's a lot more going on there. And then you, you look at a, a basic deck of cards and it's like, well, they, a basic deck of card, cards is, is, is tarot, except they took out the important, the 24 important cards, the, the major and minor arcana. They took out the right. part that, that mattered. <laughs> I don't even use that. I, I mean, I personally know very little about, you know, doing the, the proper lays of mm. decks and things like that. I just find that <clears throat> there's a greater understanding I now have of these universal energies and, you know, and whether they are the called the gods or goddesses or whether they're called the lover or the hangman or whatever, it's like, they're the same storylines. It's just through a different lens. And that is, um, I think I, I, Again, as an interfaith minister, I go, well, if more of us could, 
have that awareness, like stay in your path, but let's find the where they're similar and let's find out what's the essence of that story underneath. Like, why, uh, why is this the parable that Jesus told, you know, of the separating the wheat from the shaft? Or, you know, why is it the, uh, why was the uh, multiplication of the fish, the fishes, you know, a story that it's like, did it really happen? Maybe. But it's like, what's the message there? It's like, you know, if you all shared, hey, look what happened. Everybody got to eat something. <laughs> you know, it's like there's some obviously complex stories that are in there. Or you can look on that that way. Or again, you can go back to, hey, how is this building a community amongst you? Yeah. Yeah. The, again, it's like, it's like, you, you know, you, you can look at it so many different ways, like the similarities between like what they value and then like the stories themselves, like the same story, stories keep popping up time and time again. And it, the, the tower is also a good example of that. So, so is the, the going into the belly of the whale, um, belly of the beast. And it's like, it's like that, that's like so intrinsically human and it, very symbolic of you know just basically going experiencing cognitive dissonance and um and you know over overcoming uh challenges in your life and, and burning off and getting rid of the stuff that that doesn't matter and um it's just amazing that that you you see these stories uh over and over again you know if you if you read uh here with a thousand faces um joseph mm-hmm. campbell's book and you just you just keep seeing like it's like why like it is is our is our human existence that boring or are these are, or are there specific things in here that are vitally important so important that we we even unconsciously know that they're that they're important um and um even if we don't consciously get it um we we still see value in them because they, they keep popping up it's crazy so yeah it, it's just fascinating and, and going back to the tarot also yeah I, I really don't know how to use the deck either i just wanted to really learn the symbols and then once you learn the symbols mm-hmm. you can kind of mess around with them a little bit mm-hmm. anthony is this triggering anything for you in your uh Five-year-old version of a Catholic. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is all news to me. Like uh, I, I remember our Irish priest and uh, priest in our uh, church never covered any of this. But uh, I'm interested in going back to a question uh, Justin had a little while ago, like in regards to reading um, some of the texts, like Tower of uh, uh, Babel that you mentioned in in it's it's um, esoteric and meaning versus its meaning to you. Um, can, can we still do that? Like, and you could relate the the tarot card to that, uh, and then kind of like, you don't. We don't have to read the the text like verbatim, but if you could just summarize what's in that in the Bible, and then kind of summarize like what the card and the, the tarot deck means, that would be an interesting. I I wish I could speak to any of those in that specific of a way, and I thought of another component that may be helpful again, although. Okay. Although it is specific and it is, uh, I think, universal and it is also interfaith and it is very much um, Christian. The one of, for me, when I started having to reconcile this and I had my healing experience and I saw the vision of Christ in front of me and I felt this universal love within me and it was so tangible and overwhelming, you know, in my healer friend teacher said, you know, don't talk about it for seven days, just keep it inside. But one of the things he had done in our session and what he taught and ended up doing more studies with him around was um, 
what's called morphology. So it's the study of face and how, you know, what's, what is within is reflected without and what is without is reflected within. So your, your facial characteristics embody your spiritual story of you as a being. So he, he was helping me with my diet of saying, well, you're sanguine. And I said, okay, what does that mean? Well, the sanguine is represented as the lion. And the lion needs meat. You have been eating as a vegetarian diet for three years, and you're having mental disturbances, basically because your body's craving meat. I was like, oh, crap, but I'm supposed to be lighter if I don't eat meat, and I'm not sacrificing animals, so it's like that makes me a better soul. And, and he's like, you can, can, you can either test my theory or not. So I, I waited, even after having this experience of going, well, he might be full of it. I don't really know what he's, what does he mean? Wow, should I? So I said, okay. And I had a hamburger finally, not even the greatest meat. I just had a hamburger before a movie. <laughs> and I had one of the biggest rushes. I was ecstatic and I didn't even, I literally, my body was vibrating. I was like, like, holy man, it wasn't that it tasted great. It was just, my body just lit up. And I was like, okay, maybe there's something to this as well. So I started learning and studying these four archetypes, which are all embodied in the Sphinx. So all of a sudden I saw a tangible lineage. I was like, there is the bull or the ox. There is the lion. There is the man or the angel. And there is the eagle. Those four types are also Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the Gospels. They represent these four archetypes. These four archetypes all have... Uh, specific characteristics that are reflected. If you believe you are of divine being and that you're not just a physical body, it's like, well, these types come out through your physical expression. They used to be really clear because we weren't all mixed across, you know, hundreds of generations with different, you know, groupings, tribes, invaders, whatever. So these four types are very clear, but the message of the Sphinx was incorporate all four of these things into your life in order to be an evolved being. You are born into, like on the left profile, is what, how you were born in. Your jawline is how you were born into the world. Your right profile is what ha- you have become as you've grown. Your front face, the face that everybody sees, is what you have been socialized or nurtured to reflect to others. Um, but there's a, there's a baseline, if you will, of your typing. And you're not just one type. You're going to have different elements with, you know, it's anything from the shape of your eyebrow to the shape of your nose or nostril to, you know, how your teeth are formed to the little hole in your ear. I mean, it's fascinating studies. And I saw a tangible line for me in that moment of, this true evolution of wisdom being embodied in major symbols. And then it's like, oh, and that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John actually are 
not as literal people. They are written as archetypal ways of approaching the, your, your uh, heart story, your Christ story. And that as an expression of the divine, as a star child, it's reflected in my physicality. And I can either use this science that's 5,000 years old and see how it works for me, or I can reject it as just nonsense and old-fashioned magic stuff. But I had a very tangible experience of a truth that has a lineage to current day, you know, Catholic symbolism. So I was like, holy crap, I have to acknowledge that this is living, breathing word that's still prevalent in our world. Just because it's, you know, occult hidden knowledge in a way doesn't mean that it's not, doesn't serve a purpose. So for me, this um, reflecting on the sacred texts of the gospels has this basic human story line of what is best for us in our both physical world as well as our spiritual world. And so it's, um, it led me to, you know, I would do sessions with people when I was, you know, doing hands-on healing and I would explain some of this morphology practice and I would explain how it's, you know, a tradition that's been around for 5,000 years and it's actually still used in some um, of the French health system, especially in their mental health system. They actually use this. They use it more so in some of their hiring practices around types of when they're finding people like, hey, you're going to be better at this than this. And that's, it's kind of a little, it's a really cool way for me to kind of acknowledge the fact that we are all different and we are all working towards a greater good and greater ideal. But until, again, you know yourself and what your basic, your baseline function is and you can't really do much for others. So that's a, a long-winded way of saying, look at the Gospels from different mirrors, you know, or any of the stories through. It's not just one line of thought. It's like, what's the longer line of this story that not just historically is like, well, they were in the desert and these resources were available. And, you know, of course, he's talking about mustard seed instead of some other plant and because of where they are. It's like, okay, think of what is that mustard seed? How small is that mustard seed? It's tiny. And if you, like on here in California, you see mustard plants all over. And, you know, there's a, the missionaries use the mustard plant to plant the path so that they wouldn't lose their way. So it's like you knew where you were going from mission to mission of the, I think it's 14 along the line. So you had a, pla a place to follow. So it's, it becomes this beautiful symbol of a flower leading the way from just this little grain, you know, and it's, again, it was, it's mentioned back 2000 years ago from these writers. And then it continues in the Catholic mission story of at least out here in California, you know, passing along. And then when you read it in current day, it's like, what do people think of when they think of a mustard seed? Do they even know what a seed is? Do they even know where that, you know, comes from? Do they, you know, outside of, you know, your gray poupon, do you think of mustard? 
Great Poupon reference. Now we're 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 part of the uh, the zeitgeist. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> that was part of the branding element for uh, for the podcast. <laughs> I, was I, don't hoping. That, I don't know if that makes sense, but it's more to me the inspiration for how I approach the Bible stories or text, uh, more so than being able to dissect one and say. Here's here's what this means in my version. It's more that I think there are four versions that you can read depending on your type. Okay. That that that's an interesting perspective. I've never really I never heard that perspective. So that's uh So let me ask you a question. Would you know like depending on what the type how they would interpret it? Um that's that's a big ass question. Yeah, I, really open ended. I don't. There, there is a obviously a different, um, let's say, psychological makeup for each type. Right. So there's a tendency. Let's say it's more that these are all the tendencies. You can obviously, depending on how you're brought up, you may not reflect your own tendency as far as what you're born into. So. You can see um, both what's uh, incorporated of the multiple types, and you also can see where conflict lies um, by looking at people's face <laughs> on their front face. <laughs> so you can see where the conflict is, you know, and it's, it's, it's um, you know, there's the mental, the physical, and the spiritual. In each. So there's three layers to each, whether shape of the nose or shape of your face or shape of your ear. So you, you could say, you, you could just ask is really, I mean, none of this is set as, well, you are this and therefore do this. It's more, well, this is what's revealed through your face. Try it. Try this and see if it's better. So as far as intellectually, how things would be absorbed or encompassed, it would, um, I would say, yes, there's a tendency that people would read it a certain way by their makeup. So it's like the people, for example, there's one type, the ox, the ox is going to be able to absorb um, anything better. So they absorb food, they absorb water, they absorb knowledge as a type, as their tendency. So it's like how they read the gospels would be much more like, hey, this all makes sense. I get it. They can reiterate it. They can, you know, they could go eloquently on the verse, you know, and express it. They often, this type often are found as judges or priests. Um, and the most obvious way of seeing it is like the round face, the moons they're called. The front face is the shape of a moon. And so as you have a lot of that, actually, Anthony. It's interesting. I was just looking yeah. at that, yeah. Yeah, your coloring is, I'm like, oh, you're kind of a moon lymphatic. It's like, so it's like there's a way of physically they absorb uh, they also have one of the longest digestive tracts in the large intestines. So how they absorb food is different. I can tell from Anthony's belly that that's also true. <laughs> and well, there is a, and there's a tendency of just that they, they take up more space. Uh, <laughs> and it's cool. I mean, it's like, cause I, I would sit there on the subway every day and, you know, while I was studying this stuff and, continuing and actively studying it going 
there really are only four jaw lines. This is crazy. And seeing it because I'd be able to, I'd be exposed to hundreds of people every day that I could just kind of glance and go like, yeah, yeah, there's a right angle. Oh yeah, they're pro- they're sanguine probably. And oh, that's a C curve. So they're the they're the uh, the bilious, the angel. Oh, and I, I could see it over and over and over, and it gave me the respect of the truth that is in these texts. That it's not just historic retellings of old tales. It is living knowledge that's actually expressed in a living way in our divine self. So with it's answering or leading to your question again of, I, I would more encourage people to look at texts that way or their sacred texts in that way of how is this actively living being expressed now through me more so than uh, being historically correct of like, well, what, why, what is this story about, you know, being analytical about it. It's more, where is this truth around me? I think more so than, is this the truth? It doesn't mean be just accepted as it is. It's more find out for yourself how this is, how this is true. Cause I think it's all of these texts have influenced each other and have been around for thousands of years because it is a universal truth for humans. So, so what you're saying almost is like internalize it to the degree to, that you find a like meaning, your own meaning from it, right? Like you're interpreting through your filter, whatever the, the whatever your filter is out of the four. It's almost like it, there, there's there's a layered message in occult texts that reveal something to the person. Uh, in a way that they can best understand. I, th- I think that that's really w- w- what you're saying in many ways. Yeah, that's right? more succinct. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, how, I, I mean, it. that's how I feel. It's, I like it's, a, it's there and available to us. And it's not so much you have to, maybe you have to go through a stage like an adolescent stage of you have to challenge it and you have to question it and you have to, you can prove it historically why it's not true. But it's like, okay, what if you got rid of that intellectual layer? And you allow to yourself to absorb it and you right. look for where is this reflected in my world or in me? And in then me. it doesn't become a story of that anymore. It becomes about how, how am I incorporating this story? How is this breathing through me? And that I think is what the living word means. You know, again, I don't think it's only the Bible that has living word. I think there are contemporary texts that have living word, but We've lost that language of analogy, of symbolism, yeah. and of metaphor. And I'm a, you know, I can't, I grew up in theater and I've, that's all my life has been about is studying those things and how can you reflect that in a physical posture or in the phrasing of a word. So I, I have just had that around my whole life. But I think our biggest fault that we have done in our educational system or even our religious structures, and especially the Catholic church is we don't teach symbolism. We don't teach how to read and understand symbols. We don't understand how long this lineage of these symbols is in the earth itself. So it's very hard to be connected to the the Christ energy 
if you're not aware of where to look or why it is reflecting that. And if it is reflected in a mustard seed, it's like saying it's everywhere around you in the most minuscule thing. That's above, so below. Yeah. 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 There's a, there's a lot that you said in the last like couple of minutes that uh, have really like um, sparked a keen kind of, kind of like um, response internally for me. One is the, the, the term, the living word. I would always hear that that, that term had never really meant anything to me until you put it in context in regards to we having to internalize the, the word of God ourselves to understand what it means for us, for our truth, because there's a, there's a layers of truth in there, and then there's one layer of truth for us, right? And that is the living word when, when we connect with that. Um, I think part of the challenge that I've had, and I think that most people have, when it comes to building that sort of bridge, that connection to that word, to make it a living word, is mm-hmm. that it's, it, the text is written in a context that's 2,000 years old, so it's hard to relate to, to it in a lot of ways, right? And mm-hmm. I, I, w- I was talking to Justin just before you got on. Um, I was telling them about uh, a writer that I started uh, looking into. It's called Eugene Peterson, and he wrote, mm-hmm. a book, he wrote a book called The Message. Have you heard of it? No. So the, the message is basically he went in and rewrote, rewrote the entire Bible from like um, from the from a verbal perspective of modern day, right? So that you could better understand it. Uh, his whole perspective was that when when these words were written, when Paul wrote it and gave it out to the people, his, the people around them, they, they they knew what it meant. Like there was, you know, they knew what the symbolism that it was. Mm-hmm. That they knew exactly what he meant, whether it was literal or symbolic. They understood it, right? We don't have that same connection to the word because of the context. So he rewrote everything, and uh, I haven't read the book, but from all the reviews I've read, I, it seems that his um, take on it has really helped people to connect and understand the Bible in, in more intimate ways. And when, and when I mean intimate, it's, it's made the Bible come alive with emotion, with like, like mm. with laughter, song, pain, mm-hmm. Um, dancing, right? There, there was one reference to Jeremiah uh, where people read that and they interpreted him as being a performance artist almost, right? And, and, the, mm. and the importance of art to, to convey the word of God in a symbolic form. It goes back to symbolism. That, that's what art does. It can take, takes the word of God, the living word of God, and converts it into a three-dimensional symbol. And when he started talking about all this, I thought, wow, that, that, all of that makes perfect sense, right? And, 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 in, conge- and in, in, in context of what you said, too, it even makes big, more sense to me. Um, so you know what? I'm going to get that book, The Message, and, and try to do what you just said, internalize it and try to find out what the meaning is for me, um, which is awesome. But that leads me down another path, one, one path that me and Justin have been talking about for a while um, is truth. What is truth, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and and, and the, the more you align yourself with truth, like we mentioned before, the, the happier you'll be. So the question is, if in this context there are, there are absolute truths, but there are other truths that aren't absolute, 
like we can read those scriptures from the four different perspectives and find our own truth, which maybe mm-hmm. maybe eventually that leads us down the same road, right? Maybe we just mm-hmm. need, maybe we just need to hear it a different way, but it's it leads us to the same place, right? Um, mm-hmm. But that's an interesting thought in my mind, like truth. There's absolute truths. There's you know, truths that are personal to you, and then there are truths that are, I think, are the best evaluation of what you what the truth is in that moment but if you keep inquiring it'll kind of lead you to an absolute truth does that, that make sense justin you're the truth meister here um yeah relatively yeah. i don't know i relatively I, yeah um <laughs> that was a no no no, no it's, it sounds about about correct um yeah i would uh, i would definitely separate uh i guess uh we'll we'll we'll, we'll switch the um, well, that's Paul, but um, uh, I always looked at the the word um, in terms of, of creation, and that's always what I looked at when when it came when when people said art. It's like it's like stop calling it art. Call it call it what it is. It's, it's you're creating something. You're making nothing into something. You're taking this paint stuff mm. and then making art. Like that is that's a creation. That, that's amazing. And then and then you go and then you know you look at a woman. And you're like oh my god, that that's amazing. You can create it. You can create a baby out of your body that, and, and then keep it alive. It's amazing. Um, and then, uh, uh, and then the reason why the word itself got like lifted up and we're going to call this the word, this logos or whatever is, is simply because words are the best out of all of, uh, out of every form of creation, simply because you, if you want to make a painting, you need paint. Uh, if you want to make art though, you don't need anything except your mouth and a voice box and you can make beauty. And, you know, you see, we see that you turn on the radio and see that. So, uh, that, that was always my interpretation of, of the word. Um, is that similar? Am I on track? Am I interpretation, Paul? Well, is that I, I am to me, the question, I love the, you know, replacing creation instead of art. I love that. Um, it makes you sound like a God because you are a God when you're doing art. <laughs> yeah. You're making something. That's what a God does. It's a creator. Yeah. And we are that extension. That's the thing. That's why we have our hands, fingers, mouths, you know, all the things that we have to at our disposal. I, I'm, I want to find out where you feel the truth element is in this, because to me, again, I, I've been uh, talking mostly on that universal truth level. Um, so the, because I find it safe, maybe safer in some way, because it's, I can give as any of us could a hundred reasons of where truth is not being told. Um, and it is not value and it's we've become so subjective around truth that I feel we have to go macro again we have to go way out to see universal truth in order for us to come back into our personal truths I don't in current times since when you don't know what you're hearing or seeing in a in a digital world how real or true it is you kind of have to either stop looking at all of it or I feel you have to connect with a much greater truth with yourself so that you know that, you know, that general sense of uh, a lot of these gospels or sacred texts is it's all okay. It's all being taken care of, (laughs) you know, you're really okay. But it's like the more we stay in our little, our own truth bubble. Um, I think that's where a lot of conflict 
has developed in our society. Yeah, the, definitely the, the first truth bubble, if you wanted to have a truth bubble, is, is to be open and accepting of, of, of other people's interpretations and allow them to, to at least be able to put a thought into your head and then allow you the opportunity to have the uh, intelligence to have that thought in your head and reject it if, it, if it's no good or accept it, but to not just silence people or, or hide away from them um, simply because they have a different opinion than you, which is what we're seeing a lot in, in um especially online because it's so easy. You just follow the people you like and block the people that question what you say. Very simple. Mm -hmm. Um, I I separate truth in in terms of um, almost in, I look at truth in in terms of logic. When I talk about logic, I'm talking like about almost the exact opposite of of creation. And these two things are, are basically my, my yin and yang is, is logic and uh, creation. Um, because they're both separate and, and they're both such dominating forces. But when it comes to truth, I look at truth as, as objective, like what actually happened. And it has to be subjective simply because um, uh, you, you can never get um, exactly what happened um, in, in a particular situation. Like even if you film it, because um, it, our eyes can only pick up uh, less than 1% of the electromagnetic spectrum. So like even in science mumbo jumbo speak, we cannot tell what actually truth is. So the goal mm-hmm. isn't to be, uh, as uh, the goal isn't to just go, okay, well, throw truth out. It's bullshit. No, no, no. Uh, the, the goal is to get as close to truth as you possibly can. And when we do these certain things, that it, it, it makes your life slightly better. And it's like, well, life slightly better, that, that, that must be pointing me into the right direction. And you kind of, um, once you realize that, that your eyes are, are kind of deceiving you with everything and everything you're looking at is, is not so, <laughs> it's not as physical as you think it is, um, then you start trusting your eyes less and then, and then, um, it, and then it opens up like a sixth sense or something. I, I can't really explain it, but then you start seeing, um, making the realization that, that, that there's a lot more going on a lot, like 99% more that's going on that, that we're just not picking up. And, um, and when you do pick up on it, good things tend to happen. So do the things that are good and, and the things that are good tend to tend to be, you know, don't steal, uh, do unto others. And, uh, and, and like, it's like, if you just don't do those two things, you're, you're going to, you're going to be just fine in this chaotic, crazy, uh, Noah's Ark like world that we live in. (laughs) (laughs) Anthony, how does that resonate with your own truth? Since I I didn't hear your previous discussion on where your truth lies. I think, um, well, me, me and Justin have been talking about it quite, quite often, um, the last little while in it, it aligns I'm still working through um, I've, I've always thought there, there was absolute truths right and I'm starting to feel the, there are there are absolute truths like universal truths whether whether we call them um, universal laws right Hermetic laws that were laid down um, those, those to me are the absolute truths and and, the, and out of that comes like the way one should live their life. Like, you know, you shall not harm others. You shall not um, steal basically all the stuff that uh, um, Justin talked about. So I, I'm in full agreement with that. Um, the other, the, but the part that I working through trying to understand is let's, let's take a, a real example. Like there are, there are certain truths 
about um, why you behave in a certain way, right? We get the subconscious programs, and you might be aware of some, um, but other ones you're not aware of, right? Mm-hmm. And, and sometimes they, they come up in, uh, in, in very, very, very subtle ways, right? And you get a, a little bit of an inkling of it. Um, so as I'm talking through this, uh, I think I asked my own question. The, the, the truth is that you, you have these issues. The way I was looking at it initially was in your mind, when you don't know about it, that your truth is that uh, you don't have that issue. But I guess in that context, that the, the, the truth, even though you're not aware of it, is you do have that issue, right? Um, do you understand what I mean? Like, when, when I didn't know I had an issue, my truth was that I don't have an issue. That was uh, my truth, okay. right? Yes. Even yes. though, even though that wasn't true, but that was my truth, right? And then, <clears throat> as you delve into, um, hopefully, the, the act of growing and moving forward brings up these, brings up like the your absolute truths, right? In, in mm-hmm. the process, uh, sometimes that takes a while. Sometimes it doesn't, and and I guess that that was mentally what I was kind of work through um if you don't know it's not like if you, if you think something is one way and you don't have any evidence to the contrary then that is your truth right even though it's not even though you can say it's not based in truth really but you wouldn't know that right so in those situations where you don't know that what do you do <laughs> well it's the the thing that comes to mind of what you're expressing and again, as a tenet of uh, Christianity is, you know, thou shalt not judge. Right. And that both means don't judge yourself and don't judge others. And the um, allusion I was making to the study of morphology and the face studies was similar. It was never, it's never done in judgment. It's never, uh, well, this means that, you know, you're going to do this or you're going to do that or this is what's going to happen to you. It's, it's the opposite. It's a step back from and saying, well, this is what's revealed right. as what's in front of us. And if in me, for me, the truth element of with others, truth as well, not judging their truth. That is their truth. Allow them to have that. Allow them to have that truth. Until, they're pro- until they prove it to themselves. Otherwise, it's going to be their truth. Until they're open to see it in another way, it's going to be their truth. So I remember uh, reading the story of uh, Patch Adams and how how he treated people in his own communal setting of health. He's just like, yeah, people would come in and they had schizophrenic disorder and some of them believed that they were Jesus. And he's just like, you know what? We let them be Jesus. And he said the healing that would happen in a number of months for that person, because they were no longer rejected as you are not that or medicated to stop those things or things. He said, that's where the healing happened. It happened in community and it happened because there was not judgment. And that to me is the most beautiful part of any truth is can you see it or feel it for yourself or for however you're reading a text or how something comes to you from someone else and can you be non-judgmental about it and just be, that is their truth. And part of, I think it is also, is accepting yourself that 
I have my own truth right now and this and not judging that, well, this is where I am in my truth. Yeah. And just see that that is, that's where you are and that's your truth and that's okay. And there might be more and there might be something bigger and there might be something more truthful. But if right now your truth bubble is that big, okay, it is. Fine. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. I, I think you, you hit it. Uh, you really hit the issue in, um, and it has to do with judging. And I find like in modern day that the issue really isn't so much people judging other people, though that is a, a problem. I think it's the bigger problem is people judging themselves. Mm-hmm. I think Absolutely. that's ten to like a factor of 10 times more of an issue. I, I know personally, like it, it's, it's more of an issue for me, like judging myself. I, I, me judge, not judging other people is relatively simple. Not judging myself is, given it's some uh, circumstances, is very difficult. And in those circumstances, I don't even know I'm judging, right? All of a sudden, I'll feel right. like shit, and I'll, then I'll do like an internal check. Why do I feel like shit? Reviewing some of the thoughts in the last little while, and it's all the, around judging myself, right? Right. That, yeah, that we're sucks. our own percent <laughs> Absolutely. I think that's a big part of our... Uh, our disorder on anxiety levels and depression and everything else that I have also dealt with yeah. my whole life of it is a self judgment. It's self condemnation. And it's yeah. like, well, if you wouldn't do it to others, why would you do it to yourself? And instead of just like, well, love yourself, you know, love your neighbor as yourself. Well, like you said, a lot of people have no problem taking care of others or helping others and being okay with others. And you have this internal of, <clears throat> Oh, I have to love myself. And instead of using that loaded word of love, what if it was just like, don't judge myself. Don't judge myself. Yeah. And I think that would give us a lot of just day-to-day peace. I'm not so good at it. I just, it's done (laughs) now that I'm remembering, oh yeah, this is why I like having these conversations. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Why don't we all just make a commitment to ourselves, like in front of ourselves right now, not to judge ourselves for the whole week i'll, I'll try to make week? it the whole i'll week. try to make it out of the church parking lot <laughs> <laughs> or maybe the, all right let's do it yeah i think um well i'm on I, i'm sorry i i just I, I think you hit something though that's actually super important and, and part of the reason why doing to others is is bad english um because mm. What I did to myself this weekend, um, I, I, I wouldn't wish upon uh, any of my friends, but I did it to myself. <laughs> and it was a, uh, I just got hung over, drank too much um, uh, at a, after a long hike and, um, and got wasted and then, and then had a bad hangover. And it's like, it's like, well, if I'm okay with doing that to myself, then I'll be okay with ruining somebody else's uh, liver based on this, this science. But uh, if you look at it ap- ap- apophatically, like it, do not do unto others as you would not want uh, or, or as you would, as you wouldn't want somebody else to do to yourself uh, or do to you, mm. then mm-hmm. then you start looking at it and you go, oh well, I wouldn't want somebody to destroy my li- liver, so I'm not going to destroy my liver. Uh, since we're talking mm-hmm. about not judging ourselves and judging others, <clears throat> um, I I feel like dissecting just a, a one small line uh, and just kind of flipping it around, and then you kind of get a, a better understanding of what's going on there. Um, yeah, that's beautifully said. Thanks, and uh, I also wanted to bring up. Um, when I was talking about truth and logic and um, in creation, I, I guess it, it turns into art and it and isn't creation or, or perhaps turns into creation that isn't art. 
um, when one thing's done well, and the, the, the way that these two things, this objectiveness and, and creation uh, work together is, is that creation and art is, is copying um, truth. And the closer it gets to copying truth, the more we like it. Um, so like when there's um, um, some of uh, my, um, uh, some of um, uh, Renaissance art um, and, uh, and sculptures in, in Greek uh, uh, during classical Greek um, times, um, they, they used Fibonacci to um, put things into, into position. It's like, well, why did that look better than art that where we didn't use Fibonacci? It's because Fibonacci is located in, in our universe. They're, they're just copying truth more, more closely uh, to, the, to a, a, more, a, a smaller decimal. And that's why it looks better to us. And start thinking about uh, stuff like that, and, and, and it gets all very interesting. That's beautiful. Yeah, I, I did not know that of the sculpture part of that story, even the artist part, that that's what they were using. Yeah, that's, the, that's, why, Greek, yeah, that's why Greek sculptures look so much better than Roman sculptures. Romans did it to 1.5, and, um, and um, uh, Greeks did, it, did everything um, from 1.61. And one point, uh, the, those point eleven is is the difference between like this is something fantastic to, oh, I, I could see this at Caesars in Las Vegas. It's like yeah, both of them are, are nice, but then you get up close and you're like, what? How is this? How did they make this net out of out of marble? Like this, this is amazing. Uh, and they're just using little numbers. You know th- that analogy um, is is actually brilliant. Um, because well, I, I made it up just now. I didn't steal I, it from anybody. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it's really because it it, it made that that internal connection. We, we were saying the closer you are to truth, uh, the happier you are, right? And in art, the closer art is to that Fibonacci sequence, the closer it is to truth um, on, on a literal level, because uh, um, the the universe is a factual universe based on approximations to the. Fibonacci sequence, right? So that is the truth of this universe, how it's set up, right? And when it's reflected in art, it becomes beautiful. That's right? how... Yeah, I, never, I, I never thought of it in those terms. Yeah, there's, there's a couple of things to art that, that just blew my mind in the past probably year. Well, right. One was um, one was that, um, that, you know, if they're using actual scientific numbers to, to make this art, then, then you can draw pretty much anything. And as long as you're hitting these... Um, as long as you're hitting what truth is, you, you know, you can still have art. And that's how we have uh, this uh, more modern art. And, and it's like, you can tell which one's still art and which one they're, they're bullshitting you because they're psychotic postmodernists who think it's cool to put, put shit on paintings and stuff. But, um, but, but then there's these other people who are like, like what, these are just, you know, triangles and stuff and squares. So it's like, but they're all put in a very specific order. And for some reason that order just has meaning to me and I will never be able to explain that, but that was amazing. And then the second thing was, um, was, um, uh, understanding that, that Picasso was, uh, when Picasso was drawing those weird, uh, his pictures were getting weird. It was because he was drawing an exact replica of the, of an image that was inside of his head. And as he got older, he was getting dementia. So his paintings were starting to get a, a little weird just because he was, he was drawing what was inside his head exactly. And, um, and, and it wasn't, it, it was still amazingly beautiful. It, it was just like, if you go up there and you go, well, you didn't draw well because it, it's not a perfect picture of a person. It's like, no, no it, that, that's a perfect picture of what's going on in there. And that, and that, that has a lot deeper meaning because I'm in here a lot more than I'm out in, in whatever this is. Uh, 
Anyway, I, I guess I took my multivitamin this morning because I feel crazy. <laughs> <laughs> it's the uh, I just I just keep thinking of the uh, the little T truth versus the big T truth, and it's like there are both definitely, right. and you you can speak to them at different in different ways and different contexts when you know it's your a personal your personal truth versus. <clears throat> something that you feel is just understood and shared of, you know, not killing each other as a, you know, I think that's pretty, pretty much a universal truth. Like you kind of know, like, yeah, you're not supposed to do that. <laughs> right. I think. <laughs> but the, the crazy part is, is that there was a time in human history where we did not know that. And then there was a time in human history where like 50% of the people didn't know that. And that was like, in and, it just blows yeah. my mind that, that that people figure this stuff out. They're like, the killing thing. I can figure. I can get. You know, you, the, the logic there is pretty quick. But then there's there's certain things that it's just like, like that took time. Like there's a couple of of, of uh, Bible uh, verses that that talk about not eating people, and it's like, um, I guess that was sort of an issue at a at a time. Uh, <laughs> you know, and then you look at old laws, Hammurabi's code, like no sleeping with animals, and it's like. Like you think about that now, and you're like, "Why would they need a law about that?" And then, uh, then you do a quick Google search, and you realize that we still need laws about that. But, uh, but you know, it, it, maybe it shouldn't be in a Bible. Uh, or, uh, but back then, because they were like learning this stuff, like the stuff that Aristotle figured out, like it's just like everything I figured out was literally because I I read it, and I, I go, "Oh, that makes sense." Like they wrote what I'm reading. Like how did they do that? Uh, it just blows my mind. Yeah, it's to me. It also shows the evolution element that you know I, I keep coming back yeah. to. Of as a as a consciousness, we are evolving entirely. It's happening regardless, and there's going to be push and pull with any growth, I guess. But that there is, I mean, you can um, there is evolution and there is devolution. You know, and I guess you have in any situation that possibility. You can go down the spiral, down the drain, you know, or you can go up with the, you know, rainwater into the clouds, I guess. But it, we are, we have a tendency to create and grow and evolve. And I feel that the big T truths are always pointing to that energetically uplifting thing that makes us happier because it's growth, it's creation, it's the natural state of the universe. Yes, there is also the destruction element that's necessary, but that's also to help rebuild something to another level. Right. So I, I, I think that's the opportunity and challenge in religion is for us to either find a voice where that's what they're telling us or teaching us or knowing within ourselves enough that that is a truth we should sit in is that I'm doing this because I want to evolve. I want to grow and I want the others around me to grow in some, whether that be just, you know, materially comfortable or spiritually enhanced, you know, or collectively together. And it's like that to me is like my big truth is I know that we are a collective organism that works best just like in nature, it works better together. How do you do that in a society that's saying you don't need to and is more and more fragmented? You know, and when it's to me about sharing personal energetic space around people and going, 
Wow. I don't get that out of hanging out at a WeWork, really. Yes, I'm around people, but it's not energetically supporting my own energy. And I, I look for the bigger truths in order to find my own way of following a path that can give me the greater, more happiness, you know, that it can feel like I'm evolving. And then I'm also honoring this bigger, this bigger picture that I see keep getting kind of squashed to the smaller T. <laughs> That's your problem. That's Paul's problem. That's not anybody else's problem. No, it, it, it's a societal thing. <laughs> but um, maybe I just got to be okay with it and not judge it. <laughs> <laughs> but what, what you're talking about is, is community, right? Building community. And um, it, it, in modern day living, it, it is a huge challenge. So like, I'm looking out the window of the, like, uh, the houses of all my neighbors, right? And they're, I know them all. They're all good people. But I would never have like the depth of conversation with any of them that I'm having here right now, right? Mm-hmm. And it's weird. It's like, um, it's like the internet, uh, even though I haven't taken full advantage of it, the internet has enabled me to build um, a sort of community. Like I feel like mm-hmm. even the three of us are mm-hmm. a community. Not in, not in the regular sense of a community. Like if you're fine, mm-hmm. if your heart, if your house, no, I wouldn't say it. If something happens to you and you got, you got to crash at someplace, I can't help you out with that because I'm physically removed, right? So, mm-hmm. so that that sense of a community close to you is still vital and important. It doesn't seem to be really have a foothold in today's Western society. Well, mm-hmm. that's good. yeah, that, I mean that led to a pretty good question, Anthony. Is is um can uh, a, a digital community replace a um, physical community? Were you getting to that? <laughs> I was getting to that. And I, and I started, I started, I started to answer, like I started to answer it in, in some ways it can, like through the dialogue, uh, the sense of, you know, getting into um, and understanding principles better by talking to like-minded people, even though they might have different opinions that that definitely it, it can contribute to right, but in, in the traditional sense of a community, like helping each other out in times of trouble, um, it, it can't really. It's not as easy to satisfy that part of the community because we live so far away, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, that thing you mentioned of like that in that need of uh, again in safety in a community of you know if something happens kind of right. scenario, which is what strengthened a lot of churches growth, yeah. you know, and it, the model of the mega churches too, is like, you know, they have breakoff groups as a structure of how they get people to feel connected. It's like, you know, they have these little breakoff groups of 12, you know, so that they have their own study groups so that they feel more close when they're amongst a thousand or 3000 people. And it's like, we, we, want to, I feel, <laughs> be past that maybe as a society, like, ah, oh, we don't really need that. And yet I feel strongly that it's part of our schism um, psychologically because yeah. <clears throat> we don't have that clear of a bond or outlet for a place to do that. And not that the church was always the answer for that, but it was part of the construct. Whether it was the church dance or the potluck or whatever it was, it was a socializing place. Right. And it was a place where you maybe met your next, the person you're going to marry, mm-hmm. you know, it was kind of, it was different than having your, 
app on your phone, like who you're going to hook up with tonight. That's a much different experience. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, so um, I, I guess a, a good example of that would be Anthony um, uh, gave me a recording of a meditation that, that he listened to um, a couple months ago or that he, he actually went to the meditation um, with uh, what, what's his name? Um, Joe Dispenza. Joe Dispenza. Yeah. And um, mm-hmm. like 3000 people were in the audience or something like that. Anthony, 300, 3000, 1200, 1200. Yeah. Um, and um, he was, you know, Anthony was telling me going, he had this amazing experience um, doing this meditation with all these people. And then he's like, here's a recording of it. Go listen to it. And um, uh, he didn't say it like this, but, but uh, I'm, I'm going to say it like, and then he basically said, and have the and, and have the same experience that I had. And there's no way of of recording of a meditation is going to get give you the same experience of actually being there with 1,200 other people meditating in the exact same room. Um, and there's just there there's just uh, you can get tastes of it with the media, but uh, or with online media and stuff. But um, which is great with books and stuff. But uh, th- those connections, those human connections, have to be really done physically. I didn't really like Anthony until I met him in London, you know? <laughs> <That's> a- <laughs> yeah. Anthony was, Anthony was always, it's yeah. not like the first time I heard that. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm, I'm kidding by the way. No, it's, it's, yeah. Everyone always, everyone always looked up to Anthony in, the, yeah. in our group. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so I take it that you're saying that uh, the odd button, online couldn't um, couldn't replace the community is that what you say justin oh um <laughs> well yeah i'm saying i'm saying like like you like it it's great for some things and uh not great for for other things and and to make sure to go to those um like a Joe Dispenza course and and to make yeah. sure to meet with with like-minded individuals who you've spoken to online possibly uh, a few times to make sure to try to meet them. Um, and, and I'm, I almost feel like that this is how churches were invented. They were like, they're like, look, we got to meet at least once an X or once an amount of time to, to go over things. And it can't just be like for, 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 uh, holidays. Like we have to do this weekly so we can remind ourselves of the important things in life and, and everything. And, um, um, that's what I'm kind of hoping with these, you see all these, uh, courses all around that are, that just keep, popping up and stuff and, and people find them very popular. And I, I feel like a lot of those people, um, if they weren't so turned off to the church would be just doing the church thing over the weekend. And, mm. and that's possibly what, what the church could evolve into over time. Uh, again, but almost like evolve, but devolve into it back into itself, back to its roots. Mm. Yeah. I, I uh, this was one of my, uh, concerns or issues was, uh, how necessary is the physical structure? for any of gathering of any type of community where you need an actual gathering space in order to sustain the energy and also that it's energetically aligned, if you will, with what's going on. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, right now it's like we have this intimate little space digitally that we can share. And because we're looking at each other, it's like we can actually have a conversation and we're creating a little space and it's all digital. And there is, you know, we are coming from our heart and from our heads and it's like, this is an open conversation. And then to me, it's like that element of 
the work of what do you do with it? What do you do with this energy and this knowledge and wisdom to bring it into the world? Um, not just digitally. I always, I see it like, you know, these kind of discussions or the courses, there's like they're launching pads mm-hmm. to go impact somebody directly or impact an area directly or do something to build off of it that's tangible around you. Um, and that this is like the, uh, the fuel, this is the gas for it. Here's the energy for it. And now how do you embody it? And it's, I guess, similar to like the, the sacred word or text. It's like, here's a bunch of the stuff that's underneath it. Here's the knowledge and wisdom and here's the spirit through it. Now go, (laughs) (laughs) go, go do something. (laughs) Right, right. That, that actually makes a lot of sense, Paul. That, that also feeds into how you, you briefly brought up, which we could talk about for hours upon hours, is um, how we're not taught about symbolism. So if you're given all of this stuff and, you, and you're not told what, what an elephant means to certain people, then you're, you're going to have trouble when, when somebody brings up an elephant in, in their story and you're like, well, why did he ride in, in an elephant? It's like, because mm-hmm. it, it's symbolically representing something else. Um, and for example, for the elephant off the top of my head, um, the first image that comes into my head is, um, is Gandhi on an elephant. And I, um, I know why, but I, I, I just know it was a really important time. He like walked into some town on an elephant, like he was walking in there and then the, the town gave him an elephant or something to walk in, uh, which was like basically like the nicest thing that you could do for anybody. So they're giving like a lot of respect to him. And uh, mm. it, it became a very important part of his uh, existence. Um, but anyway, sorry, I was digressing a little bit. Where, how are no, you on time? What time is it? Uh, it's 11.30 our time. So 11.30 your time. Oh, I got to travel. I, wanna, I want to leave off on that <laughs> message of symbols um, because another part of my learning path was um, in, dealing, in doing healing imagery. And healing imagery work has been done for you know, thousands and thousands of years. And the path or the lineage for me was through somebody from the uh, Kabbalistic it's the Kabbalistic order of light, I believe. And the power of the imagery was revealed in a way to me because it was an MD who used to run one of the major hospitals, um, psych wards <laughs> in New York. And he found this uh, languaging extremely powerful. And what's cool about mental imagery as a healing process is you're dealing entirely in metaphor and symbol. And it's not literal. Um, so you're allowing your subconscious brain to work with fast, quick images. Now I'm not talking about, let's do a 15 minute lie around, lie along the lake, you know, and feel the water soothing over you. It's like, they're all under 60 seconds fast, just like it's the words and you let your subconscious do the work, but it's all in metaphor and symbol images. And it is, I have found it extremely powerful as a growth tool. Um, and I've used it for myself in things like dissolving, um, kidney stone where I went, I went to get the check. I saw, I saw the image. I was like, I do definitely have this thing. I knew it was there, but I wanted to prove to myself that mental imagery could work. And so I spent, you know, the, the 21 days doing this practice every morning and night. And I dissolved the kidney stone. And I was like, cool. Whoa. 
it mm-hmm. worked. And so I saw, the, again, the physical, tangible element of using mental processes and spiritual language to do things as tangible as heal myself around one specific thing. So this is, again, reason, a reason why symbols matter is like there's power in them. So maybe that's another conversation. <laughs> yeah, we gotta, yeah, we gotta, you can't you can't just like uh, yeah because like the second you said that i'm like it's 2 30 man come on we, uh. <laughs> so yeah you're just gonna have to come back on because because yeah you, you just can't leave leave it on that because i i could just tell i could just imagine like a, a viewer just like being like oh symbols really matter and then they pull up the first thing that they think is a symbol even though they can pull up literally anything um and they, they'll go, well, this doesn't mean anything to me. This guy doesn't know. But it's like, don't worry. There'd be a whole thing. <laughs> if you're in, if you want judging it. it. That's why. <laughs> <laughs> judging it. <laughs> that's, so that's our, task, really our task for the week is to not judge ourselves. I'm going exactly. to hold to that one. I'm going to send an email like uh, next Friday asking everyone to uh, admit and remember truth is important. The closer you allow yourself with truth, the happier you will be admits whether or not they would have judged themselves this week. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for opening the space again. Appreciate it. Uh, it was yeah. awesome having you on again, Paul. Our discussions are always very enlightening. I've learned, I wrote down, I learned at least four or five new things tonight uh, that associations of things I knew that for me created like a bigger learning. Um, so thank you for that. Thank you for being part of this discussion. Yeah. Yeah. Love it. You're definitely welcome anytime. Um, part three. <laughs> yeah, okay. Thanks for creating the space. Love it. Right, Digital man. or otherwise. <laughs> <laughs> take care. Okay, Be take well. care. Peace. Bye. Peace.